thanks, Steve. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, do keep uh, John chapter 15 and 16 open there. Um, and let me take you back to when I was, um, I think, 11 or 12. Um, so you can try and imagine what I looked like back then. And I was in an English literature lesson. My, my teacher was called Mr. Mears. Um, and we were doing poetry, which is not normally my thing. But I've remembered this uh, lesson for, um, for a long time. <clears throat> so let me read the poem that we were looking at. And uh, you can work out if you, uh, you recognise it to start with. Half a league, half a league, half a league onward. All in the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, charge for the guns, he said. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade. Was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered. Theirs not to make reply. Theirs not to reason why. Theirs but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Cannon to right of them, cannon to left of them, cannon in front of them, volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell. Boldly they rode and well. Into the jaws of death into the mouth of hell rode the 600. Um, the year, anyone? I'm looking at you, Ian. <laughs> 1850, uh, yeah, no, you got, you got Tennyson, well done. Uh, 1854, the charge of the Light Brigade, not the first time that there has been a war in the Ukraine. And uh, this was a famous incident, one of um, the, the British uh, Army's most infamous uh, um, bad days uh, when 600 soldiers on horseback, armed with nothing but sabers, swords, rode into a valley full of Russian heavy artillery and were, were slaughtered and not many made it out alive. The generals had sent them on a, on a fool's errand. They were on a hiding to nothing, like lambs to the slaughter. I remember in school uh, talking about how the, the rhythm of the poetry kind of mirrored the, the galloping of the horse's hooves. And I remember debating whether... Tennyson's call to honour the noble 600 uh, was, was right or not, or whether instead we should be focusing on the stupidity of, of the generals who had sent them there, like lambs to the slaughter. Well, uh, I, I, was, um, I was just in the moment there and, and, and just feeling what it was like to be one of those soldiers sent on that, on that mission. And I was wondering this week whether that is something like how we feel at times about the Christian life. Many, I think, have been tempted to feel like that. Sent out into the world, told, like in last week's passage, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse uh, 16, to, to go off and bear fruit, to tell the world the good news of the gospel, enter the battle, and it sometimes just feels like we've entered the jaws of death, the mouth of hell, like there are cannons to the left of us, to the right of us, in front of us, and they are just blasting us to smithereens. Because we do, don't we? We, uh, we often feel helpless in the face of what the world uh, shouts at Christians. We feel hatred. We feel opposition. It is a hostile world that seems bigger and stronger than us. Dismissive of Jesus. And the conclusion might be that either God has got his orders wrong. Uh, there's been some miscommunication in the line of command like there was back then. Uh, or perhaps that God doesn't really care. Uh, or perhaps that it's our fault and we're just doing something wrong. Why do we find it so hard to live in this hostile world? It must be my fault. It's not supposed to be like this. 
Uh, it's easy, isn't it, to feel like Sunday, Sunday's all right, Sunday's nice, good to be reminded of, of the gospel, and it's nice to be around God's family, and Monday is something different. Monday is like the jaws of death and the mouth of hell. Well, if that's anything like how we feel, and I feel like that sometimes, I think John 15 and 16 here is a helpful passage for us. Remember uh, that Jesus has been speaking for a few chapters now to his disciples. He's just hours from his betrayal, hours from his death. And he, he has told them that he's leaving them, and they are, are getting to grips with this. They're grappling with the fact that they're going to be left alone by Jesus. And he's giving them one last pep talk. And most of his talk up to now has been thoroughly reassuring and, and positive. Steve uh, taught us last week um, three words, and I was trying to remember what they were, Steve, and I, I must confess I wasn't entirely sure, but you know, abide, love, and fruit were those three words from last week. Jesus has been reminding, reminding them that, that they're going to be all right. There's going to be love from Jesus, love for Jesus, love from the Father. He's going to be with them still somehow. That They're going to be bearing fruit. And then here in uh, chapter 15 and verse 18, we have this sudden change of tone from verse 17, where all the talk is of love. Uh, in verse 18, that first paragraph, all the talk is of hate. Seven times, hate, 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 and hate again. The world will hate you, Jesus says, and will even, chapter 16, verse 2, kill you. But it isn't a tactical blunder like Crimea. Uh, this hatred doesn't catch Jesus off guard, and he wants uh, to be sure that his disciples are not caught off guard by it either. Look at chapter 16 and verse 2. Um, uh, sorry, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Verse 4. I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, that means the, the hour where the, the opponents seem to be, to be winning and killing you, when that hour comes, you may remember that I told these things to you. And so in the rest of our time, we're going to see what Jesus wants his disciples to know. And I think, firstly, he, he wants them to know why they're going to be hated. And then, secondly, how they're going to be helped. Why they're going to be hated and how are they going to be helped. And so let's look at that uh, first point. Why are they going to be hated? Uh, and we're going to look mainly at uh, verse 18 to 25 here. I think there are uh, maybe four reasons in this passage uh, why they're going to be hated. I'm going to run through them really quickly um, and then try and bring them together. Um, all of this passage is dim, uh, not dim, dense, and I'm going to skim it. Um, uh, so apologies if there are some questions unanswered. Um, but the first reason I think that Jesus points out that they're going to be hated is in verse 18 and in verse 20, he's reminding his disciples that they're going to be hated because they're following in his footsteps. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Anyone who follows Jesus, who himself was hated and killed by the world, ought to expect to experience that same hatred and opposition too. Jesus is not a, a military general who sends his people out into battle and himself stays safely back in the camp. Jesus experiences the same. He has um, already done so and he will be doing so very shortly in this passage. Uh, he's the crucified Christ. So that's the first reason. Second reason, verse 19, 
uh, why they will be hated, it's because they are not of the world. If you were of the world, Jesus says, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Uh, The disciples might look and sound like the rest of humanity. They've got the same DNA. They have the same hairstyles, probably. They eat the same food, but they are fundamentally different to the rest of the world now because they have been chosen out of it. And the world knows that. We do not sign up to the same things that the world signs up for. We do not nod along in agreement to all the things that the world expects us to. And the world hates God's people because of it. His disciples are different now, and they are hated for it. And they need to to recognize that. Uh, Third reason uh, that I found in these passages uh, why... Uh, the world hates them, is uh, maybe a little bit uh, tricky, but but somehow, it seems, Jesus himself has revealed and and stirred up that hatred by what he has said and done. So look at verse 22 and verse 24. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. 24, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and the Father. It's as if Jesus entering the world has, has created this great divide. He's like a, a magnet entering a, a, a metallic world and everything that he encounters reacts to him one way or the other. It's either attracted to him and joined to him or it is repelled by him. Jesus exposes what people are really like. He he exposes the sin of rejecting him. He brings it to the surface. And his people will do the same. We're not to be surprised when we see hatred. Jesus says, I've stirred it up. My words and deeds have brought it to the fore, and my people will experience the same thing. And then the fourth reason, quite bluntly, that Jesus says they will be hated, verse 25 The word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. The world hates God and his people because the scriptures say they will. They hated David, who that was first written about back in the Psalms. They hated Jesus, and they will hate Jesus' people too. So what do we make of those reasons for why the world will hate uh, the disciples? Firstly, it's important to just spot, isn't it, that Jesus is thoroughly realistic here. And the question for us is, have we counted that cost? Have we fully leveled ourselves with the fact that the world will hate his people? That might be a surprise to us, particularly with what's been said before in in these passages so far, where Jesus has been so positive and reassuring that Jesus is thoroughly realistic. Have we counted the cost of following Jesus? But Jesus is also saying, I think, to kind of try and sum up those reasons. He's saying, yes, the world is going to hate you, but don't take it personally. It's on me that I'm the one they hate. I've stirred it up. When you go out there into the world and you experience that hatred, See it for what it is. It's hatred of of Jesus. It's not your fault. 
doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Jesus is the one they really hate, and, and, and this is just an expression of it. This is a, a spiritual reaction to Jesus and his father. I think Jesus expects that to be somewhat reassuring. There's a question, I think, to ask as well, if the world doesn't seem to hate us, if we're not experiencing that, is that because we're maybe not speaking of Jesus enough? But if it does, I think there's some encouragement to be taken from the fact that we are following in his footsteps. But most fundamentally, Jesus just wants the disciples to know that this is what it's going to be like and to be prepared for it. So why the world hates them? Secondly, how are they going to be helped? How are they going to be helped? Three times in this passage, Jesus talks about sending the helper, the Holy Spirit. And he talks about what will happen when he comes. So look at chapter 15 and verse 26. When the helper comes. Uh, Chapter 16 and verse 8. Uh, And when he comes. And chapter 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes. Jesus has got a lot hanging on when the helper comes. Something big and important is going to happen. When he comes, we're, we're waiting for this. And there are three things uh, there, and let's, let's look at each of them in turn. The, the first thing, when the helper comes, chapter 15, verse 26, uh, he will bear witness about me. Just because Jesus is going to be off the scene doesn't mean that uh, the world is going to stop hearing about Jesus. I'm going to ensure that the world continues to hear about me. I will send the helper to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, and he will bear witness about me. Notice the the Trinitarian unity there. Jesus the Son sends the Spirit from the Father. He is sent to the disciples, and he will bear witness. The disciples, the ones who have been with him from the beginning, will also bear witness too with the Spirit's help. Yes, I think Jesus is saying that the world may hate, may hate me, but I'm still going to make sure that they hear about me. I have not given up on the world. The witness of the Spirit will mean more people can hear of me and be saved. Neither the absence of Jesus nor the hatred of the world will stop Jesus from continuing his mission in the world. The Spirit will bear witness Firstly, secondly, that theme continues in, in, the, in, in the next when he comes. Uh, chapter 16, verse 8, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Um, now, Those are tricky verses, and uh, I am not going to have enough time to explain them all fully, which is something of a relief to me. But I think the the general sense is that just as Jesus has uh, exposed the world's sin, like we saw in uh, 15 verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. Jesus revealed and exposed the world's sin. Just as Jesus did that work, so the Spirit is going to continue doing the same work. Exposing the world's sin, convicting the world of its sin. And yes, that may stir up hatred. We've already seen that. But it will also lead some to run to Jesus and be saved. 
So the Spirit is going to convict the world about their sin, about righteousness. I think that means exposing the world's, what the world uh, uh, claims as its righteousness is actually not righteousness at all. And concerning the world's judgment, there's a, a theme in John's Gospel about how the world is, is unable to judge accurately and clearly and the Spirit is going to show up their false judgment for what it really is. That, I think, is, is maybe what's going on in those verses. But I think the, the main point is that the Spirit continues what Jesus has already been doing. The Spirit continues Jesus' work. And then uh, the third example of when he comes, uh, chapter 16, verse 13. Again, he's going to continue the work of Jesus, this time speaking Jesus' words. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Verse 12, Jesus said, I've, I've got more to say to you, and I can't say it now, but the spirit is, gonna, is, is going to tell you the rest of what, what you need to know. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So yes, Jesus is going, but he is not going to stop speaking. Again, note the, the collective united work of the Trinity, the unity of the Father and the Son. All that the Father has is mine, Jesus says, and the Spirit is going to take all of that and declare it to you. There is nothing that the disciples need to know that they will not know. The Spirit means that the disciples are not alone. They are not impotent and they are not helpless in a hostile world. They have the full backing of Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, I asked you at the beginning to uh, imagine me back as an 11-year-old back in um, uh, my English literature lesson. Now I want you to imagine me as a, a, uh, a university student. Um, so this is, wow, 20, 20 more than that years ago now. Um, much of my time at university, it feels like to me, in my kind of non-academic world, in kind of Christian union and church and things like that, it felt like it was having debates with other Christians about the role of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if that was the case for you. I don't know if that's the kind of conversation that people still have at university. Um, that felt like that took up quite a lot of my time and effort at university. Um, here are three things that I wish I had known really clearly back then. Um, and I, th I think maybe I did know some of them, but uh, three things which I, I would love to have known clearly about the Spirit's work from a young age. Firstly, the Spirit does not add to Jesus' work. He continues Jesus' work. The Spirit is not on a separate project from the Son. He is applying the work of the Son that the Son has already done and continuing that same work. So we mustn't split the work of the Holy Spirit from the work of the son. Um, in, uh, many of you know my brother lives in Athens and the centerpiece of Athens, Zavon knows this and any crumbs that here knows this, is the Acropolis, the hill in the middle of Athens, Nairi, hello, uh, you were there recently too, uh, the Parthenon, the, the old uh, building with all the pillars on top of the Acropolis, it just stands plain as day in, in the, the whole city uh, can, can see it. Um, you can't go anywhere in Athens really without being aware of, of the Parthenon there up on, on the hill. And at night time, they, they light it up, and it is beautiful, isn't it? It's amazing. Um, again, you can just see it from miles around, and it is stunning. 
Um, well, the illustration goes, and it's not my illustration, that the work of the Spirit is like one of the spotlights, or like the spotlights lighting up the Parthenon. The Spirit wants everyone to look at Jesus and see him and see how amazing he is. And so our job, when we consider the work of the Spirit, is not, not to focus on the spotlight, but to focus on the building that the spotlight is illuminating. That's what the Spirit's interested in. Where Jesus' saving work is being declared, that is where the Spirit is active. Saving Son, exposing sin and convicting uh, sin in others. That's what the Spirit's interested in. Uh, the second thing about the Spirit, which I wish I'd known earlier, is the Spirit is a missionary spirit. His work is to ensure that the world hears about Jesus and is convicted of their sin of rejecting him so that they might repent and believe in him. I guess one of the biggest dangers of living in a world that hates us is that we say, okay, you hate us, fine. We'll have nothing to do with you then. Is that tempting? It is, isn't it? But that is not how it should be. God remains committed to his word going out into the world. And even if that stirs up hatred, so should we be committed to that too, in dependence upon the Spirit. The Spirit is a missionary spirit. Third thing, the Bible is the Spirit's book. In all of this passage, but perhaps most importantly in this final uh, little paragraph, it's important that we remember that these words are spoken to the disciples, to the apostles, first and foremost. The Spirit declared truth about Jesus to them, they recorded it in this book, as John is doing right here. They are the one who bore witness to him, to whom the spirit of truth declared all these things. And his words to them continue to ring out to us through, through the book. So let's treasure this book. If all that the disciples needed to know was told to them by the spirit and they wrote it down, for us. Let's value this book likewise. So going back to me as a university student, having all these debates and, uh, and discussions about the, the role of the spirit, I think I kind of understood most of those in my head in theory back then, to a greater or lesser extent. But to my shame, I, I, I got it completely wrong in, in practice because what's the best evidence that I've really understood the Spirit's work? It's not winning an argument or a debate with, with another, uh, another friend. The best evidence that I've understood the Spirit's work is that I speak out about Jesus in a hostile world and in dependence upon that Spirit. Having a, a, a late night discussion in a university hall over a coffee with a Christian friend is not the lion's den or the jaws of hell. But going out into the world tomorrow morning might well be that. And so if I've understood what the Spirit is, I will remember that then. Sorry, what the work of the Spirit is, I'll remember that then. And I will speak about Jesus then. And that will be the sign that I've really got this. So as we finish, do we feel like we're lambs to the slaughters when it comes to being Christians sent out into the world to bear fruit? 
do we feel like we've got as much chance of returning from battle unscathed as one of those British soldiers with a sabre in front of a, a row of cannons in 1854? Do we feel like that? Well, we're not the first. The message that we have about a crucified Jesus, who's been nowhere to be seen on this earth for 2,000 years, might seem utterly powerless and ineffective against the weapons that the, war, that the world is, is using against us. But we don't need to retreat because what seems on the surface pathetic and, and hopeless is nothing, nothing like that, is it? What Jesus wants to say to us from this passage is, I, I, I don't promise you an easy time of it. You will be hated, you may be killed, but don't be surprised and don't lose heart. That's the way the world has always responded to me. And you are not alone. The Spirit is with you. He continues to bear witness about me through the Apostle's message written down here. And the Spirit is still working in the world to convict the world of its sin and bring glory to Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he, hours from these uh, words being spoken, was uh, hanging on a cross for, uh, for us because he uh, loved us. Thank you that he rose. Thank you that he reigns now in glory. And thank you that uh, you have given us a, uh, a work to do to go out and bear fruit speaking about that crucified and risen Jesus to, to this world. Father, we uh, have read that it will be hard and we cannot escape that. We pray most of all that we would uh, live in dependence upon your spirit who is with us and that we would uh, courageously, uh, in all of our weakness, speak out words about Jesus and depend on the spirit uh, to convict people of sin, bring people to repentance, and bring glory to Jesus. Help us, we pray, even uh, tomorrow, even this week, to remember these words and to act upon them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.